Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see all of you back here in the sanctuary after our celebrations last week on the church anniversary. It's always great to be together, worshipping the Lord together, church, and especially as we start this month on the topic of building and presenting the glorious church. And this is um, the church described in the passage we just read together aloud uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, as a church without spot or blemish or any such thing, one that is holy and blameless. In other words, a perfect church. Any one of us know a perfect church anywhere in the world? You know, there was a story of this man who came to Charles Spurgeon, all right, the prince of preachers, uh, and he asked uh, Spurgeon uh, whether he knew there, where he could find the perfect church. And Spurgeon told him that, well, in this church, in my church, you might find some really great men of faith, but you might also find some who are not so hot for the Lord, and one or two might even go out and say bad things about the church, because even the Lord Jesus had a Judas in his group of twelve. You might find some who might introduce some very suspect teachings, might say things that cause unhappiness in the congregation, might do things uh, that uh, may irritate other people, um, false teachers maybe even. Um, and you find examples of this in the churches in Ephesus, in Corinth. And so Spurgeon tells him that um, it's going to be very difficult to find the perfect church. But if you ever do find such a church, please do not join them because you'll spoil it all for them. Right? And I think that's, that's the problem with humans, with human beings. Because we can't be perfect. We are not perfect. Not in perfect, not perfect at least in this life. What we are and, and, and what we can do and how disobedient we all are. But the Lord Jesus nonetheless tells us, tells us that He is waiting to present to Himself this glorious church without spot or wrinkles. And then He explains this mystery and compares it to yet another mystery, the mystery of the relationship between a husband and a wife. So let's see what this passage holds for us this afternoon. All right, shall we just bow our heads? We ask the Lord to bless us as we look into His Word together. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for the church that the Lord Jesus has purchased with His blood, this church which is precious to Him, that You have entrusted it to us, we ask, O oh Lord, that for the days of our lives, that we will learn to invest every time our effort, Lord, uh, our love into the growth of this church, that we may learn and enjoy that glorious church that belongs only to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Teach us, Lord, to be a part of that church, contributing to it and being members of that body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, church, we've just read together that passage from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 24 to 27, but it's an important passage, and I think I would like to read it again. And it says here, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for her. I pause there. So looking at just these two verses, first two verses of this short passage, 
we see a certain order. Our Lord Jesus has prescribed for us, even as the church is to be fashioned into the glorious church for God, He tells us that this mirrors our marriages and there is a certain order in our marriages. Now, whether you like it or you don't like it, this is the order. First, for the women and the wives, be subject to your husbands. Now, please don't leave the sanctuary yet, all right? Let me, let me just, uh, just explain this a little bit more. Uh, just as the church is subject to Christ, so wives to be subject to their husbands in everything. It's an obedient, loving sort of a, subject, of a subjection. And then for the husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Now, husbands, please don't leave the sanctuary just yet, all right? Because we all do know that the love of the, of the Lord for the church is a deep, generous, unconditional love. It is the love which led the Lord Jesus to give His life on the cross for the church. He died so that the church could be birthed. And so it is a sacrificial two-way order that the Lord has called those of us who are married into that sort of a relationship and for all of us here who are believers of the Lord Jesus Christ into building that glorious church that He wants to have one day. And the good news is this, brothers and sisters, that journey... That journey, that building of that church is not necessarily tedious or tiresome or entirely painful. But the Lord tells us that in the course of this life that we have on earth, He will give us life, and not just life, life abundant. So it is a journey that we can enjoy. It is a marriage that we can cherish. It is a relationship that we not only can build, but we can certainly grow into. And verse, six, verse 26, that He may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, this is a rather scary thing, isn't it? You know, because as the psalmist calls out to God and he says, Search me, O God, and see if there is any wickedness or wicked thought in me. You know, and we know that when the Lord causes His eyes to gaze upon our lives and to see if there is any aspect of our lives that is disobedient and not resonating with what He wants us to do, the Lord will be able to see us out and catch us out. So sometimes we can, you know, in the army we say, you know, that something may be good from far, but it's actually far from good, right? Because you're so far away, you can't see the details, right? You see a person and say, wow, that guy looks pretty good. But when you go a bit nearer, it says, whoa, look at the wrinkles, look at the marks on his face, all right? So, um, so when we ask the Lord to look upon the church we are building, the Lord says, I am presenting to myself one day this church that is without spot, or wrinkle, lacking any such thing, it will be holy without and without blemish. So it is going to be a perfect church, and we we'll see how we are going to, to do that. All right, so in the outline today, very simple outline, Christ loved the church. We'll just uh, discuss a little bit about what this means. He then gave himself up for her. 
verse 25, that he may sanctify the church and this church to be that glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Now let's look at the first part of, uh, and then we'll go to the conclusion. Let's look at the first part of Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ uh, also loved the church. So uh, Christ loved the church, but who comprised this, this church? And the quality of Christ's love and the essence uh, of His love. Now, who comprises the, the church? These are sinners redeemed by grace, you and me, the chosen ones. Now, we know that the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, well, of course, it was established by the Lord Himself, all right, when He shed His blood, gave His life upon the cross. He started the church, but He entrusted it to faithful men to build upon that church. Now, the original senior pastor of that church, the chairman of the church, the, the treasurer of that early church, it was a complete disaster, right? We, we know that was Judas, okay? But um, God did not send um, a bunch of angels down and say that, look, this will be the people who will start the church. So the church was birthed out of sinners, saved by grace. Uh, people, men and women, without any redeeming grace for themselves, if, if there was anything that they had going for them, was the faith and belief and courage in Jesus Christ. And then the church grew. So it came from men and women who were sinners. A church that was still unlovely and imperfect. So out of this imperfect group of people, God founded this church. Now we can say that the love which the Lord had for the church is perhaps different from the love which God has for the world. Now, we all know that for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in Jesus, in His Son, Jesus Christ, shall not perish but have everlasting life. So God loved the sinners. But I think God has a special love for His people, a special love for His church. Those that He gave His life for and those who responded by faith to trust Him as their Lord and as their Saviour and give and live their lives in accordance with what He wants us to do. So, so this is the special group of men and women. But today, as we look around us and we see that actually we live in a very different world today than we did uh, just 18 months or 20 months or 24 months ago, the post-COVID and pre-COVID times are very different. Uh, one of the differences we see, of course, is uh, the preoccupation and the fears of people. All right? Jobs are in danger, not only just jobs, but generally health and well-being. Uh, whether we should even go from point A to point B, whether I should be bringing my kids you know, down to the library, uh, whether they should be even taking exams, uh, whether I should be bringing my parents down to, 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 the, to the market, because we don't know, we are fighting an enemy we cannot see. We are being exposed to dangers that we cannot perceive. All right? We can't see with our own eyes. So what do we do? Well, best, we stay at home. So this thing about staying at home has led us now, for some of us, maybe to stay at home or for a stretch seven days, ten days. We don't even need to go anywhere nowadays right, to get things done. So we zoom in for meetings. We zoom out of meetings. We attend church meetings without needing to go to church. Some of my friends I know um, are probably not going to, be, not going to have stepped into a church building 
since March or April 2020. So they are going to pass uh, an entire calendar year without stepping into church since the day they first accepted the Lord Jesus, maybe 30 or 40 years ago. And, and, and some of us feel entirely okay with that. Some of us feel that it's all right nowadays. I don't even need to attend cell meetings or don't even need to attend a prayer meeting because I, I can just do so in the comfort of my own home. So there is no real need now to meet up and to encourage each other, you know, to good works or to meeting together with each other uh, as we are exhorted to in Hebrews 10.25. Um, and so the world has changed. Now, brothers and sisters, I can tell you it's going to be very difficult to try to build a glorious church together when we find that it is quite inconvenient to dress up nicely, to choose the mask, you know, that will go with the clothes I'm wearing, and just to make sure that I wash my hands properly and then come to church and go home safely, all right? Uh, there is a certain amount of planning and a certain amount of inconvenience to do that, so maybe don't have to. So it's going to be quite difficult to build a glorious church when we see that it is quite inconvenient to come together uh, for a glorious cell meeting or a worship meeting together, all right? The church is not a convention, you know, that I can just send a representative, right? This one represents my marriage, huh? okay? Or this person, you just go, you represent the Tan family, all right, at the church uh, service this Sunday. It is not. The church service is a congregation or assembly of the children of God together, worshipping our Father together. Now, what is the quality of Christ's love? And I can tell you, it is a special love. It is, it is a love in Ephesians chapter 5, where Christ compares this to the love that a husband has for his wife. And we all know that the love that the husband has for the wife has got to be a special, exclusive, constant, uh, persevering kind of a love. Okay, maybe persevering not to, not to some husbands, but to some husbands certainly, but to all husbands, it's got to be an exclusive, generous, um, kind of a love. You know, whenever I go out with some friends, sometimes, you know, the guys will say, oh, you know, today I, I, I will pay for this dinner, right? And, and, and um, we'll divide it up and you guys pay. Uh, pay me your proportionate amount at the end of the day. Well, sometimes you remember to pay. Sometimes we don't remember to pay, but it's okay. We even things out. The next time, you know, uh, I don't have to pay you when we go out and eat together. But, when we go out and celebrate, for instance, Valentine's uh, dinners, all right, and we have, let's say, four couples go out together. And it was once, I remember, we went out together with three other couples, and I said that, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pay the bill first, all right, and then you guys pay me back after that. So we, we, we got the bill, we divided into four couples, and I told the husbands, all right, this is your share, this is your share, this is your share, and this is my share. All right, so one paid up, the other two didn't pay up, and I started chasing the other two, okay? So I started chasing them, Another paid up, the last guy, either act blur or really, you know, um, uh, keeps on forgetting, and I kept on chasing. Finally, he paid up, and then he asked me, actually, Vimeng, if you don't mind my saying so, this is a little bit unlike you, you know, to keep on chasing for payment. I say that, look, this is Valentine's dinner, all right? I have no business buying your wife Valentine's dinner, okay? <laughs> it is your dinner for her. So if you're not going to pay her share of the dinner, I'm going to ask her to pay her share of the dinner because I can buy you guys dinner, but I don't want to buy your wife Valentine's dinner. 
And, and, and it, is, it, is, it is a relationship that only the husband shares with the wife. And so, for myself, I try to make it a point when I buy a gift for my wife and I try to buy her flowers on her birthday that I pay for those flowers. So, every year I, 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 I do that. But I was just reminded this year that I forgot to pay for her flowers. The florist uh, wrote to us for payment and so she paid for her own birthday flowers. All right? So, I got to remember that. All right? you, you, you can't do that. Okay? So, there, sense, there has to be a sense of that that not just loyalty, that, that faithfulness. And brothers and sisters, the love that the husband has for his wife. And this is part of the order that is reflected in Ephesians 5, 24, 25. Um, in the same way, reciprocate, reciprocated the wife to the husband. It's exclusive. It's set apart, just the two of them. The husband and wife can do a lot of things with other people. All right? They can go out for dinners together, they can do projects together, but when it comes to the relationship, to nourishing that relationship, to nurturing that relationship, to sharing deep plans with each other, to building the family together, the fears and the hopes and the excitements, that will be reserved for each of them. And, and that also, brothers and sisters, as we build this glorious church together, reminds us the idea and the concept of consecration and of being set apart for the Lord's work. That when we build this church together, we are not building this for Senior Pastor Daniel Fu, for Elder Kokwan, or Pastor Sing Lee. We are building this church for the Lord. We are building this church that we may present it one day as the spotless, blameless church without wrinkles for the Lord. The essence of this love is covenantal. It's not based on contract. It is not rights-based. Husband and a wife do not talk to each other as if you have a contract with each other. Before we got married, my wife told me that there are, there are a couple of things that she does not eat and that it would not be right for me to go back on that promise. So I said, okay, no problem. What is it that you do not eat? And she said, durians. <laughs> so worst thing you could say to me that I cannot touch again. Now, I tried many times, all right, in the course of my marriage to get her to back down on that, trying to remind her that marriage is not rights-based. I even got senior pastor to do a delivery prayer, a deliverance prayer, Right, for the delivery of durians, right? A deliverance prayer for her. I must say, it still hasn't worked. Right? So I have to remind her sometimes that why do you keep on insisting on your rights? Right? And she says, it's a covenant. You promised me. Right? So I'm reminded. Marriage, as in building a glorious church, brothers and sisters, is a covenant that the Lord shares with us. The, the authorities are now looking at the way in which um, we should do divorce. Uh, in, in Singapore and perhaps trying to move uh, uh, more towards a no-fault divorce, right, where parties uh, can come and separate from the marriage uh, whether or not either of the party is at fault. As it stands right now, the law is marriage, married couples can only divorce upon one legal ground. 
That one legal ground is when the marriage has broken down irretrievably. It's broken down so badly, you can't put it together. But there are five facts, factual scenarios where that can happen. Firstly, the husband or the wife has deserted the other party. Desertion. So there's some fault involved in that, right? Secondly, where one party has engaged in an adulterous relationship, certainly there's fault, right? The third factual scenario is unreasonable behaviour. Indicates some fault, ooh, but it's very subjective. What do you mean by unreasonable behaviour? Snores very loudly, is that unreasonable behaviour? Use the Colgate and squeeze in the middle, is that unreasonable? Half of you here will say very unreasonable. The other half say, eh, you mean there's nothing wrong? Is there something wrong with that? I didn't know, you know? Um, not bring out the trash, you know? Um, you know, we see sometimes um, some of these weddings that we attend nowadays. You know, bridegrooms uh, who would go to the ends of the world uh, to propose to their brides. You know, some will jump off. I saw one where the groom jumped off a plane, you know, and uh, I love you, you know, spread, you know, about uh, 5,000 feet or 10,000 feet above the air, and some uh, proposed uh, down deep in the ocean. But after they get married, you know, ask them to go to walk to 7 Eleven 10 minutes away to get bread. Uh, Masa, tomorrow don't eat bread, la. it's okay. La. I go straight to work. Okay? Unreasonable behavior. Well, some fault is involved. The last two grounds. If you are separated for three years, you can go to the other party and say, Excuse me, we have been living apart for three years. Shall we get divorced? And if the other party says, Yes, I'm waiting for you to say that to me, yes, you get divorced. But the other, if the other party says, No, I don't want to let you go, All right? then what do you do? This party waits one more year. Four years separation, you will get your divorce. Fault or no fault, you will get your divorce. So right now, law is pretty balanced, but it's going to change. In the US, there are only three states where they emphasize that marriage is a covenant. Right? It's a covenant. That's a covenantal basis. So when you come together, you take your marriage vows. You acknowledge that you are making a promise with each other. And Christ, when He established that covenant, in building that church, he staked his life upon it. Our God, our Heavenly Father, staked his name upon the church. That this church will grow and the gates and forces of hell will not prevail against it. And so, brothers and sisters, we know the essence of the love that Jesus has for the church is covenantal, is not rights-based, is underpinned by God's faithfulness. And likewise, as we set apart ourselves, consecrate ourselves to our spouses in our marriage, as well as to God in the building of His glorious church, we have to understand that faithfulness must be at the cornerstone of these two relationships. And I, can, I think I speak for many of us here, that how confident are we that our spouses can stick with us through thick and thin. You know, if you are depending on, on, on looks, I tell you, you know, um, you've you got to have to look at ourselves properly in, in the mirror. You know, sometimes the Hokkien has a very nice phraseology to say, you know, that I'm not quite sure why I married your father, you know. Uh, all I can say is that my eyes have got stamped, you know. What baktiuta stamp, you know, at that time, you know, I, I, I don't know. What is it that I saw in him to, to, to marry him? If it is athletic abilities, um, 
I have no chance. If it's talents, no chance. The greatest assurance that we have that a husband will stick with the wife and the wife with the husband is that somehow by the grace of God, or maybe by her upbringing or my upbringing, we will honour the vows that we took. That as I took this vow, that I will love you, take care of you, for richer or poorer, till death do us part, we will do just that. Of course, you know, having a good voice to sing, being a good chef, having a great sense of humour, and then looking really like an Olympic athlete and being able to run and perform like one, you know, helps. But it's no guarantee. It's the faithfulness that we have, one to the other. And the faithfulness that God shows in His relationship and covenant with us that we know that we can move with confidence to build this marriage and to build upon that glorious church. You see, we have here that God gave him, the Lord Jesus gave himself up for the church. And it's not just a temporal sacrifice, it's not just a partial sacrifice, and it's not a sacrifice. By proxy. Now, as human beings, we love to romanticize this whole idea and concept of love. You know, of that prince who would come and sweep this damsel off her feet, and especially, you know, if he gives up riches and power and title and fame, you know, for the sake of love. And so we're all transfixed, or maybe not all of us, but those of us who are old enough, right, uh, to read stories of how King Edward VIII gave up his crown uh, uh, in the United Kingdom in England for the woman he loved, the American divorcee Wallace Simpson. Right? And recently we read about how this young Japanese princess uh, gave up her royal title right, to marry uh, this Japanese lawyer. Right? And, and, and we say, oh, so, so romantic. And what's so romantic about um, the king of kings and the lord of lords leaving his position at the throne of heaven, coming down to earth to be with people whom he, had, he, he created, but full of disobedience, you know, full of nonsense the way we lived our life, um, disobeying him, rebelling against him, uh, just doing the things which he tells us not to do. And did he just leave heaven's thrones and heaven's comfort uh, in order to to just come down here for a short while and just talk to us and then, and then go back. The Bible tells us, well, he came in the form of man, born as a helpless baby, baby went through the birth canal, went through all the uh, frills and vulnerabilities as a, as a baby, as a child growing up. The Bible then says that, you know, foxes have holes and dens and the birds of the air have their nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And as he grew up, he didn't grow up in a family of power or of um, influence, of merit. He became a carpenter's son. He had no career that to, 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 to speak of and no wealth of his own. And Isaiah chapter 53 told us that he's a man of sorrows. And he was led to the slaughter like a lamb and opens not his mouth. And the Lord saw it fit to crush him for the sins of those who hated him. He went through a trial. 
This trial was all fixed up. False charges were thrown against him, and he was crucified. For a sin that he never committed, took the place of the sinners, suffered the punishment and the death reserved only for criminals. So he suffered injustice. And he came here so that justice could be done, that sin can be punished and vanquished. And yet, this was how he was treated. So he gave himself up for us, not just a temporal sacrifice, not a partial sacrifice. He gave up everything. And certainly not the sacrifice by proxy. I mean, he could have sent his angels down, right? And say, I'm going to send down, well, maybe, I mean, human beings are, are really quite precious creations. I'm going to send down 200 angels. I'm going to sacrifice all of them. But he didn't do that. He sacrificed himself. He gave himself for her, the church, so that he might cleanse the church and sanctify her. And, and, and this is that double cure for the church. You know, it reminds me very much of what we are going through now in COVID, right? Uh, where, you know, with, with this church, we are looking to see how we can contain it. So there are two ways when you are looking at fighting a vi viral infection. One, you look for a cure, but, you know, as most scientists will tell you, it's almost futile. Among all of the viral infections that, we, we, that are known to men, maybe one maybe two viral infections can be cured. Cured, and even then, I think it's open and closed, uh, inverted commas, can be cured by medication. The rest of it, how do you fight it? You either control its symptoms or you vaccinate. You create antibodies uh, in the body to repel and to fight the infection without having the virus attack you first. And so that's what uh, we're doing one to cure the body of the virus and two to make it less vulnerable to infection the lord jesus when he gave himself for the church he gave so that you may cleanse the church and that is pay off the penalty for sin give us that positional cure so that we no longer are under the wages of sin standing on the side of the cross that will look at the whole of eternity in hell and in darkness. But He has transferred us positionally, paid the penalty for our sin, so that we move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, 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 of His marvellous light. But not only that, knowing that we are in the world, in this fallen world, with this vulnerable fallen body that we have, and the thoughts that we have that are continually changed or affected or influenced by the world, God gave us a vaccine. And this vaccine is administered by the Holy Spirit who resides within us. So He gives us the Holy Spirit in us that we might be sanctified day and day, changed into the likeness of Christ, that we may be transformed by the renewal of our minds, not conforming to the world, that we may then present our entire bodies as spiritual sacrifices to Him, fully acceptable to God the Father. And so, the Lord Jesus gave Himself for us so that we may be cleansed and sanctified. Now, Ephesians 5.26 says that 
he might, so that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water and by the word. Now, this washing by water is really quite interesting, church. Water is a wonderful thing. I used to think that when you are thirsty, you know, um, drink 7-Up or, or, or Coke, you know, and that's the best thirst quencher. Over the years, I found that water is amazing. I can have a poor sleep the night before, either staying up to watch some meaningless soccer game with some meaningless results and then not being able to sleep well the next day, you know, and then regretting why the sheer stupidity of sacrificing sleep for uh, something like this. And then you've got an important hearing or an important meeting the next day. So what to do, right? It, it's not going back to bed and try sleeping half an hour later uh, or an hour more in the morning. I find drinking water. If I had the more water I drink, the more I'm refreshed and energized. And that lasts me an entire day, regardless of how little I've slept the night before. Every time when there's a heavy rain, I would find myself a seat in my dining room where just next to it, there are some pots of this jasmine flower. And when the temperature drops after a long day of showers and rain, the flowers bloom and they light out a wonderful fragrance. And it's a wonderful thing when it rains and when there is water. And I also read that you know, sometimes, especially when it's been hot for a long time and it starts raining, there's a smell of rain. That's not so bad, you know, all right? Now, scientists have termed that smell as petrichor. And it is a smell that comes out because the rain, the water, mixes with certain chemicals, all right, that are released by plants, microorganisms, and that raises a certain fragrance that is appealing to human beings. Or those of us who like to go on long walks, we go into the forest, all right, or some of the more forested areas or trails, especially after a heavy rain. You smell that there is a certain refreshing in the air, a certain fragrance as well, because bacteria in the ground releases some of these uh, chemicals, and when mixed with water, they rise. And the human... Um, our human scent is able to pick up this fragrance. And actually, scientists are now capturing some of these fragrance, this scent, into the perfumes that they sell, right, for a lot of money. So this, this water is refreshing. This water is fragrant. But the word here says that so that Christ may sanctify the church through the washing of water, by the word. Now I'm reminded of, of this story of a farmer who tells his worker, now take this basket, go down to the river and get me a basket full of water. Right? And the servant says, sir, this is a basket, how do I get you a basket full of water? He says, no, 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 yeah, you heard me. Just go down to the river, get me a basket full of water. So the servant takes this bas basket, goes down to the river, plunges the basket into the river, lifts it up. No sooner has he lifted up the basket, water all falls out through the holes and through the cracks and through the weaves. So he tried again, he puts it up, the water falls out again. He tries that many times. 
trying harder, pulling it out faster, but each time the water seeps out. Finally, he says, well, I'm going to try one last time. Puts it back in, into the river, pulls it out, water starts dripping all over the place. He brings his basket all the way back to the farmer, shows it to his master. He says, sir, here is your basket full of water. And this wise farmer took the basket from his worker, looks into it and says, ah, it's washed, now it's clean. You see, brothers and sisters, when we hear the word of God, we sometimes think that what is important is how much I retain, how much I remember. When the Lord Jesus looks at us one day and welcomes back, I can tell you, brothers and sisters, He looks at our hearts and how clean we are and how we have been washed by the preciousness of His Word. It's not going to be a Bible quiz. Please tell me which is the longest verse in the Bible. And don't tell me it's Esther 8, 9 or whatever. Just quote, tell me what that verse is. No. The Lord Jesus will look at our hearts. And so, we sometimes, I like to, you know, when I pick up my daughter from youth church, I, I like to ask her, who is the speaker today? Now, sometimes she paused for three seconds, okay? And then she said, oh, this is the speaker. Okay, good. What's today's topic? Um, got problem ready. What is that one lesson you can bring away? Hey, please, are dad. You know, I tell you when, when we reach home, right? I used to have a, the, a senior come up to me and says, you know, Elder, thank you for the message today. But, you know, I have a lot of difficulty trying to keep the lessons in my mind, you know? I say it doesn't matter. Each sermon, if you can, try to have one lesson. One year, you attend 52 sermons, you have 52 lessons already. Very, very good. You know? And I remember, as I used to hear senior pastor teach. I said, amazing, this guy. You know, 35, 40 verses in a sermon, and I can remember not a single one. Till today, I cannot even remember a single of, his, of any of his verses, right? All I know is, no competition, <laughs> no condemnation, What's the third C? No COVID or whatever. <laughs> but what I take away from his messages is this. How is it that a person can know the Bible so well? How is it that you can find a verse for every problem, for every situation? And if it works for him, it can work for me. But I can do it at my own pace. It will not be 35 verses per hour maybe three verses per hour, right? Maybe two verses per hour, but I can be washed. I remember I used to listen to Freddie Boy in the early days when he was here. And one day I went up to him, maybe about 30 years ago, 25. I said, Dr. Boy, what is it that makes you able to understand and to preach, you know, simple passages from the Bible that makes it so exciting? to just listen to you. Is there a book I can read? And he thought for a while and says, go and get this book. I said, what book is that? You know, The Unfolding Drama of Redemption by William Scroggie. I, don't, I think you can still find that book. So I went to buy it. Wow, very expensive, but $70 or $80. You know, just started working, right? I bought it. Then I read. This book tells about how this is God's drama for redemption. Act one, scene one. You know, God created the heavens and the earth. Sin came in, you know. So the good guys and the bad guys, 
how God marshals His armies, you know, and how they fought back and forth, you know, scene one, scene two, scene three. It's amazing when you read about this. And so the washing of the word, brothers and sisters. You know, when you hear missionaries talk about their experiences, I remember I attended, you know, in, in uh, a holiday somewhere and I just attended this small church and a missionary came to talk and he was talking about David and Goliath and talking about the giants that David had to slay and the, and, the la- and the bear and the lion that David killed and who are the giants in your life. And I mean, it's a, it is a message that maybe we wouldn't even fi- spend five minutes listening on the internet. But there's so much richness from his life of service as a missionary, of how literally every day it is meeting a lion, meeting a, jung- uh, a giant that he had to slay. And so the Word of God just continues to wash. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, God does this process of sanctification in our lives. You know, we allow ourselves to be washed by the Word. John 15.3, you are already clean because of the Word which I have spoken to you. The Word which I have spoken to you. And so many of us, this Word just brushes past us. You know, we don't take this word, you know, and, 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 and wash ourselves clean. I mean, we can go into a shower. You know, we can come out of it completely dirty, right? Because we make no effort to apply the soap, you know, to allow the dirt to be washed off. Acts 2, Acts 20, 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This word of grace that is given to us will build us up. This word of grace will give us an inheritance. It's not an inheritance of dollars and cents, but it's an inheritance to know the nature of God, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and what we have through Him. And John 17, 17, the Lord Jesus said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we want to build a glorious church. We want to grow up as a people of God after His own heart to do what He he wants us to do. We wash ourselves by the word. We let this word continue to come into our lives, being part of our lives, and that we are washed in Him. To be that glorious church without spot or wrinkle through sanctification. So this sanctification, brothers and sisters, is a process. And it's a process where there is an order of things, where Christ is the head of our church, right? Just as the husband is the head of the, of the, of the uh, marriage relationship, but the church subjects itself to the lordship of Jesus Christ as the wife subjects herself in love to the husband who loves her with his life through this process of sanctification. And we set ourselves apart. We become careful with how we live our lives. That we learn to segregate ourselves or separate ourselves unto the Lord. Now, we do not pull ourselves out all right, from the world. But as we are in the world, we are not of the world. Our values, our character, our virtues, our goals, our aims. What is it that makes us happy? What is it that excites us? 
These will be things that God has placed for us and accord uh, with His love for us. And through this sanctification, to clean out every spot, smooth out every wrinkle, not having any such thing, being holy and blameless. Now, to clean out every spot, you know, what the Jews do before they enter the Sabbath is that they literally, you know, they clean out. They will clean out every spot that they can find. And, and we can do that, all right? We, we, we can try to do that, you know, by cleaning superficially um, our lives. But many of us, I can say, um, we, we don't even do that, right? But cleaning out every spot is, is, is one thing. Smoothing out every wrinkle. Now, you can't wash away a wrinkle. You can wash away a spot. How do you eradicate a wrinkle? Actually, how are wrinkles formed anyway? I think most of us know, right? Uh, with age, okay? Um, you know, when things go old, they wrinkle. But when things are rejuvenated all the time, when you stay young, when you stay fresh, the wrinkles really do not form. And so maybe this is a reminder to us in our Christian walk, all right? Don't let things just stay stale. Not S-T-I-L-L, S-T-A-L-E. Do not allow them to remain still, to have that fresh anointing, to have that refreshing in the Lord. You know, something which is new, like clothes, for instance, right? I dare not wear, I will this clothes, so expensive, branded one, okay? All right, I will only wear it for special occasions. Uh, and now with COVID, where got special occasion? You go home and now you try to take out some of your new stuff. You find creases, you find lines. Now, how do you remove a crease? You can't wash it away. Take out the iron and iron it out. It's painful. It's painful, brothers and sisters. But we have to do that. So, smoothening out every wrinkle, not having any such thing. Now, Spurgeon says that actually the author, Paul, ran out of words. Or rather, the, the interpreter of the Bible ran out of words to describe this that, uh, and uses any such thing. And this, this translation is taken from the New King James Version. Spot or wrinkle or in fact any such thing, any such thing which constitutes a blemish or an imperfection or a flaw or a defect, any such thing, God can take care of it. Through the process of sanctification, whatever it is that you can think of that constitutes a defect, any such thing, God can remove it from us so that this glorious church can be holy and blameless. So, in conclusion, the glorious church, Matthew's five, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, this is one of my favourite verses. When I had the privilege of baptising my daughter, I chose this verse for her because I want her to know that whatever she has, God has given to her. Don't hide it. Share it and use it. Let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. My understanding of the glorious church is not that this will be a first-class church. You know, nowadays, we rank everything. You want to find the best doctors in town? There is a ranking. Find the best lawyers in town? There's a ranking. Teachers also got ranking. Schools also got ranking. Hawker centres also has ranking. Right? 
You have rankings for almost everything. But this is not a ranking for the church. This is not to say that, well, we have really the best worship team in Singapore. We won the Oscars for worship, you know, for three out of the last five years. Uh, Two of our preachers have been named Preachers of the Year, you know, uh, 2021 and 2022, you know, uh, in Asia Pacific. No, this glorious church simply to me means the church that glorifies God. The church that points back to God. And to say that all we are doing in your midst, all that we are, God was behind us. And we do all of this for God. So another favourite passage of mine in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11, by the end, but the end of all things is at hand. And we've been talking about this, right, since the start of the year as we reach the, the, the end days. Right? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Brothers and sisters, we want to be a glorious church, we start working together. We want to be a glorious church, we start praying together. We want to be a glorious church, we start serving together. We want to be a glorious church. We start loving the community together. But love starts here and love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Um, So when the day comes for us to be able to buy dinners for each other, all right, please buy for each other. For me, I'm open to accepting all offers without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. All of us here are ministers of God, and not only that, we are stewards of the grace of God, of the manifold grace of God. In its different aspects, we are all stewards of the grace of God. We all have something to give. We all have something to share. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And that's what we do, church, as we want to move towards that glorious church, to build that glorious church. You know, when Jesus said that, I want to present myself, this glorious church without spot or wrinkle. The Lord is saying that, looking at an unlovely, at an imperfect church. But He knows one day, one day we will get there. And it may involve some pain. It may involve some sacrifice. But the Bible also says that it would be abundant life, even here on earth. The world at its worst, and we see now that there are numerous problems in the world. And a couple of messages ago, we were talking about just how people are suffering out there and how mental health is an issue. The world at its worst needs the church at its best. May not yet be the full glorious church that is without spot or wrinkle. But church, as we get there, we can be the best that we can be. You know, we look at this. This should be one of the posters outside of church. A glorious church 
CH question mark question mark what is missing you are you are we need people back not just physically in the church we need there to be an excitement again of serving the Lord of loving each other of serving each other making time making space for each other again reserving time to meet up and to talk to each other and to work together and to love the community and that's what we need church we're back to this christian marriage and the christian home which illustrates for us the order for sanctification and to build a glorious church together and there will be what if we follow that model i think there will be peace there'll be peace and why do i say that you look at these chinese characters now i tell you sometimes the chinese have a way to explain to us what i think their own culture has been influenced by the word of god the word ni refers to woman or the wife and this is mian right which is um speaks of the home or roof and when you put the two together you have an right from which comes the word ping an which is peace the absence of trouble you have um anwei which is to comfort anxing which is you know to have that rest in your heart anxing uh, which is not just keep quiet right anxing means absence of strife or of argument or of dissension you have anqian which is safety so when you have a wife that follows after this order but he sub- she subjects herself to her husband as the church to Christ then you have a safe home you have a quiet home without dissension a safe place a secure place no problems not anti all right anting not anti how about husbands husbands i think we need to understand that christ is the head of the relationship christ showed for us the way to love the way to live and his way is righteousness and so if we take the war which is me and the young which is sheep or lamb you put them together the me hiding under the lamb you have this word which is e in mandarin or righteousness when husbands learn to hide themselves under the lamb of god and impose the righteousness of jesus upon that marriage relationship we protect that marriage relationship set the spiritual tone the spiritual climate for that family you know it is when the husband looks at the wife and looks at and sees that this wife can be adorned can be made more beautiful so what he does is that he takes his cloak of righteousness not his righteousness but the righteousness of Jesus and wraps that around his wife protects his wife that way that brothers and sisters 
I think gives us the idea of how a Christian marriage and a Christian home mirrors that glorious church which God wants us to together to build when He comes again. So I may just ask all of us today, as we look towards this glorious church that we are building, you know, brothers and sisters, it's not, hey, quit your job, go into Bible school, you know, get a degree in divinity or theology. No. It's learning how to love our husbands, our wives, acknowledging that relationship in the right way, learning how to honour our God and our Lord in the same way, learning how to trust Him, reserving and consecrating our lives, separating unto Him, honouring Him, learning to serve Him, allowing ourselves to be washed in His Word, that we may be sanctified by Him. And together, we enjoy this journey. You know, when we can then have our big makans again, when we have our prayer meetings, when we have our celebration services, brothers and sisters, there will be so much to declare to each other just how good God is and how good He has been able to use the two loaves and five fishes in our hands to bring about miracles to people around us.